0: you're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. As we Uh, are going to shift gears. I think it's good for me to explain to you why. Uh, We're going to, uh, as we go into the the fall and into the winter, we have some some special emphasis. We'll come back to Mark in the new year because we have um, here this month and next month. I want to take a little time and spend some time with you in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 and 13. And if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, that's where we're going to be today. And then we're going to transition from there into 2 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at verses 8 and 9 there. And the Lord really put a burden on my heart as I've been sort of interacting with the church and the congregation and hearing people. Um, There there are a lot of people who who come to Ridgecrest, but but maybe haven't actually joined Ridgecrest. And so that began to to grab a hold of my heart. And I just wanted to take a little time in God's Word to make a, a just a, an argument, so to speak. Not that I'm arguing with you, but to make a case... Um, that that joining the church, being a member of Christ's church, is something that God wants for every single one of you. But also, I thought, you know, it's not just about being a part of the church, but as we become part of the church, there is a transformation that takes place that, that begins to emanate out from us. And I want to talk about that in terms of generous living. So as we think about uh, these passages in the weeks to come, I'm going to be talking about sharing the gift and you'll notice in verse one today that we're talking about spiritual gifts. That that's sort of the main theme of the twelfth and thirteenth chapter of uh, chapters of First Corinthians. Yes, but what we're going to talk about is sharing that gift and how being a part of the church leads to generous living. That can change the world. Because ultimately everything that we're going to do as a church, we want to do it to change the world. Your, your elders, your pastors, uh, the deacons, we want nothing more than to see God do something great at Ridgecrest Baptist Church. Our desire is to see the world transformed for Jesus. And so I think these four passages, these four chapters of scripture are going to really help us focus in that way. And then of course we'll get into the Christmas season and and we'll have some Christmas sermons because some people kind of like to have Christmas sermons during Christmas. I don't know. So we're going to go that route. And then we're going to come back around and, and, and finish up with Mark in the new year. But today we're going to talk about 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 3. And if you have your copy of Scripture, if you will, please stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word. I want you to listen to these passages. And you're going to note that before we can talk about church membership, we need to talk about salvation. We need to talk about Receiving Jesus as our Savior. And so that's the beginning point of church membership, and that's the beginning point of all true revival. It says here, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we do ask that before this time is over, before we leave this room, that each person here can say with assurance, Jesus is my Lord. God, we ask for you to do a great work in this room. If there's anyone that's been thinking about following you, have been struggling uh, with their faith, trying to know, God, where you want them to go, I pray, Lord, that you will clarify for every heart today from your word where we need to go. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, let's talk just a little bit about why it's important for us to think about being a part of a church. Now, I want you to get this in your mind because this is kind of the, the overall, kind of overarching idea is why we're, we're, we're talking about being a part of the church. So I want you just to imagine uh, this reality. We all know that the local church is less than perfect. The second I joined it, I know for a fact it became less than perfect. The second I became a member of this church, the church became less than perfect. And and that's true for each one of us. We all, when we join the church, bring a little bit of our imperfections to the church. But it's interesting that even though we know the church is not perfect, we can never forget that in the New Testament, the church is called the Bride of Christ. Don't miss that. The church is the bride of Christ, and Jesus loves his bride. Can you imagine walking up to a couple and saying either to the husband or to the wife, you know, I love you, I think the world of you, but I don't like your spouse at all. Now, I want to tell you, if you're trying to make friends and influence people, that's not the way to do it. It's it's never good to say, you know, I kind of like you, but I don't like your your spouse at all Now realize when a person if a person were to say, you know, I love jesus I think he's a great teacher and prophet, but I just don't love the church I just don't care for the church at all. I don't want to be a part of the church. You've done the exact same thing You have dissed the bride And that is unacceptable Why is that unacceptable? Because we don't join, we don't ask people to join perfect choices, uh, perfect churches. We ask them to join the church because Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.25 that 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 Christ loved the church and gave himself for in fact and this is a sermon for another day from Ephesians 5 but but really the marriage relationship when it's at its best is a gospel preaching thing because husbands and wives living for Jesus is is a picture it's it's an image of Christ and his church it's all connected And so I want to say to you today how important it is for you to be a part of the church. Part of the church that Jesus died for, bled for and died for. We want to keep that in our minds. But if you look here... In this passage, Paul is speaking of the body and its members. That's really the theme of 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, all the way in to the 14th chapter. And he goes into great detail talking about the diversity within a congregation and how all the different pieces of the congregation work together to build a local community. And so... We need to understand these principles. You need to understand that if God has saved you, he has a church for you where you're going to plug in and be a part of that body. You're going to be some part of the body of Christ. And you, if you're not fulfilling that role, you're missing out and so are we. And we need to be a part of the church, not only because we need to find our part, but As one scholar puts it, uh, church people, Christians often suffer from doctrinal amnesia. And what I mean by that is we forget sometimes what God's word says. And so we need to come together and be here so that we can sharpen up in our skill set so that we can serve the kingdom, but we need to constantly be refueling our hearts with doctrine, with theology, with what God's word says, because that's what you need to live your life for Christ. We are called to be a part of this beautiful body. And when we are truly contributing as we ought to, what that leads to is a generosity, a generosity that just flows from us. The community around us needs to feel the generous love of Christ. And you get to play a part in that. Too often though, what we're seeing in the culture today And I think this group, with so many of you young families and and, and, uh, college students, university students, we need to realize that many people today really don't understand what the church is all about. They assume that you go to the church where you get the most, where you're going to get the most um, ministry, or, or maybe you just go to the church that sort of matches your personality the best. And so many times if you look at what churches are doing today, they're just playing a game of marketing, and they're trying to figure out their demographic, and then they're trying to set up things so that people will come and be attracted to whatever they're offering. Now listen, I understand that we need to be relevant, but the priority must always be what we are giving to the church. Time, talent, treasure. Notice I put treasure last as opposed to what we're getting from the church. Hear my heart. When we're talking about remodeling and we're talking about about giving and things like that, listen, generous living is not just about the checks you write. It's about the kind of heart that you have in giving your best to Christ. And, and we at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, we want to be different. If, if the culture is more of a, what are you going to give me? What am I going to get if I go to your church? We want to be the kind of people that come to worship and are a part of the body of Christ because we have a passion to give generously the gospel to our community. We want people to know this beautiful hope we have in Christ. And Jesus himself put it this way. He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, it's not about what you get. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve us, even unto death on the cross. And that is our model. But before we can really talk about being a part of the church, I want to just spend a few moments this morning and have an earnest talk with you about the condition of your heart. Before you can give glory to God, you need to have received salvation in Christ. There is no other way. We cannot take for granted our salvation. I was reading a book several years ago. doesn 't matter what the book is, but it was written many years ago, hundreds of years ago, and I was rather shocked. I was almost offended. It was a book written by a preacher, two preachers, and i 'm telling you. Almost every single page of that book, the author says, do you know that you're saved in Christ? Do you know that you're trusting in Christ? Do you know that you're following Christ? And I'm sitting here thinking, this guy wrote this book for preachers, and he's assuming that a lot of the preachers even don't know Jesus. Now, wow. Now you can say that's a pretty pessimistic view. Or maybe what he was onto is something really precious here. What is discipleship? If it's not every day saying, Lord, am I following you today? For, forget, as Micah said, forget what happened way before or, or being anxious about what's coming. Am I in Christ? Am I trusting in him now? We need to every moment, every day say, Lord, just be, be real to me. And we trust when we have, when we have biblically confessed our sins and trusted in Christ, we can trust in that promise. I'm not asking you to doubt your salvation, but what I'm saying is you have to, you have to receive Christ. You have to live in Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about here today. And to do that, this passage, I think, lays it out perfect. First, we're going to see our life before Christ. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time helping us all understand if we're not believers in Christ yet, I'm going to paint the picture that the Bible paints of our life before Jesus. Now, for those of you who are in Christ, this is very helpful. Don't tune out on me because we need to see just how good God is and what he's delivered us from. But this also gives us some wonderful things to think about when we're witnessing. Because we need to realize when we're trying to share our faith with people, we need to remember where they're at. And, and the, the scriptures are very good at helping us with that. And then we're going to talk about what it means to have life in Christ So I'm going to paint the picture or or, or from the text, help, help paint the picture here of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what life in Christ looks like. And then finally, we're going to talk about being empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit, life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Because if we want to be members of the church, effectively being a part of the body, being members of the body, we need to make sure that we are filled with the Holy Spirit And that our lives are honoring unto Christ in everything we do. So let's start with the radical proposition of salvation. Let's talk about life before Christ and what Christ has saved us from. If you take a look with me in your passage of Scripture here, in your copy of Scripture, look at verse 2. We're going to focus on verse 2 at the beginning here. Skipping over verse 1, we'll swing around to that at the very end. But verse 2, it says, You know that when you were pagans... You were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Now, if I walk up to you and you don't know me really well, and I say, "Hey, pagan," how are you gonna how are you gonna receive that? Probably not all that well, especially if you're a person. And let me just say this: kind of like me in terms of background, I was that guy raised in church. I was that person who was in church nine months before I was born, if you know what I mean. I mean, I I have been in church all my life. And so, you know, uh, years ago, if someone would have come to me and pointed their finger in my face and said, you know, you used to be a pagan. I would say, who you been talking to? No, I would say, I'd say, really? You're going to, you're going to accuse me of that? So let's talk about this for a moment, because if someone were to say, hey, you realize you were once a pagan, you're going to say, well, you know, I don't think that's really my style. I don't think it ever was. Uh, I've never really been into that thing. But, But what I think Paul is trying to tell us is, is that we've not always been a Christian. Even if you're raised in church, there's still a point in your life where you receive Christ, where you had to humble yourself and say, I know that I need the blood of Christ saving me. Not my heritage, not, my, not, not the church that I've been uh, attending for worship every week. At some point in your life, you have to receive Christ. So that means there's a point on the line of your life that before that you were not a believer. And though you don't like the term pagan, that's an adequate description. That means that you didn't have Christ. And so when you look at your life, if you were to put it on a line... If you're a believer here today, somewhere on the line of your life is a point in time where you were humbled by God, where the Holy Spirit said to you, as we're going to see in a moment, Jesus is Lord, and you receive Jesus. The time before that is your life apart from Christ. So you could say that pagan time and the time beyond is your time in Christ. Now, what I'm painting for you here is the biblical picture of salvation, Even the the verb tenses in the New Testament show this to be true, that salvation comes at a point in time. So what I'm saying to you this morning in this first point, so I want you to hear this above all else. If you have not come to the point in your life where you have said to Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to save me from my sins, then that point is the most important point for you this morning. You need to receive this wonderful grace of Jesus. And you need to turn from your past one of the problems I find is is that if you were raised in a good family and I had to say it this morning I'll say it again if you were raised in a, in a good Christian home that's the best gift God could give you in terms of your family I understand that but sometimes people are raised in good families and they assume because they're around good people that that automatically makes them good you know I can go and, and watch the Cardinals play baseball Although right now I don't know that I want to but I could go watch the Cardinals play baseball and see every game Uh, What is it 162 games out of the year and that will not make my fastball one mile per hour better I will not be able to hit a hundred mile per hour fastball any better I can go be in the presence of great baseball players, but that's not going to make me a great baseball player So it's not just about being present As as a person who was raised in church. I had to learn this because here's here's the problem. I had I had issues in my heart like pride But but I would look down on the person over here that had an alcohol addiction and think that his sin was somehow worse than mine because it was more visible and it was more ugly. And what I was doing was, is I was just avoiding the reality that my sin was odious unto God just as that sin was. The devil loves for us to focus on other people's sins because then we're not paying attention to our own sins. And so it doesn't really matter what your sin is. If you have sin, you need Christ. This gets in our kitchen. This gets gets down to the core of who we are. Because we don't want to hear that that we're not as good as we think ourselves to be. But the scripture uh, the scriptures Romans chapter 3 in particular. I mean, it just doesn't give you any wiggle room. There isn't any way that you can say, read Romans 3 and say, well, I'm still a good person. No, there's none good. No, not one. And we need to hear that message. And you need to hear that message regardless of your background, regardless of your church background or lack of church background. Everybody in this room is on the same playing field when it comes to paganism because if we don't have Christ, we are lost in our sins. We're all on the same ground. You come in here today and you tell me you don't, this is the first time you've ever been in church or you haven't been in church in 20 years. Listen to me. That does not mean that you can't receive Christ this morning. That doesn't mean that you have like, like 10, you've got to you know, check off the boxes of 10 worship services and only then can you be a Christian. No, God brought you here today because he wants to radically alter your life. He wants to change you today and you need to turn from your sin. Let's talk about the sin. Paul is writing to an audience that wasn't raised in church, so to speak, these were the Corinthian Christians, and many of them had come from very pagan backgrounds in the truest sense of the word, just exactly how you would define it. Very ugly stuff. The city of Corinth in its Greek derivation and later in its Roman derivation, because it had a Greek uh, period and then a Roman period, but I'll tell you, both of those uh, epics, they were epically wicked. The Greeks even made up a word. They had a participle for, for this. Corinth, the zestai, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Corinth is a participle, meaning behaving like they do in Corinth. So they were known to have some pretty serious behavior problems in Corinth. And and quite frankly, I think because of all those issues from their past, this is why in in 1 Corinthians, if you read the whole letter, you say, wow, these guys are in trouble a lot. And they are. It just seems like those, those wicked ways from their past just keep kind of holding on. So hear me. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. I'm not trying to give you a hard time. But, but if you have great sin in your past, don't think that, the, the, that those wounds aren't there anymore. Always beware. Because sin is devastating and deadly. And if you look here in the passage, we see here that it's, it's kind of like our sin. The images is of carrying us away. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray. Another way of saying led astray is to say carried away. Uh, get in your mind the image of a stream, like a river, carrying your soul to a tremendous precipice towards a, a waterfall. And before you receive Christ, you're caught in this current. You're moving swiftly toward death. One old uh, preacher, one writer puts it this way. Sins, murdering morsels, like you're eating a morsel, will deceive those who devour them. So here's what's interesting. Sin looks sweet. It deceives you, but it's poison. And that poison, what it does is it keeps you from being able to swim against the current of the culture the tide of sin and therefore you're carried with that sin. A person that is a uh, still lost in their sin, to use the word here pagan, I know that's harsh, but but they don't even realize often that they're being carried away by by the lusts of their hearts. They would just tell you that they're just doing what they were born to do. This is what I like, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to do. But notice what Paul says here. They've been led astray. Uh, to mute idols this is a key biblical concept Old and New Testaments the idea of an idol and what we see in an idol it doesn't necessarily have to be a little statue or something like that an idol is just something that takes the place of God and what we need to realize is is that our life before Christ was controlled by something other than Christ and here in the text it speaks of specifically an idol and, and what we need to realize is is that, that the, these idols are very, very deceptive and even clever. I would say demonically clever. It says that they're mute, but I don't want you to think that they're dumb. Uh, the, the idols of your heart uh, offer you pleasure, but what they deliver to you is death. Again, a famous preacher said, a man may have enough of the world to sink him, but he can never have enough to satisfy him think about that your sin can sink you but it will never satisfy you your sins may make you feel like you've got something good going on in your life but 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 it's dragging you down to the bottom of that river and that current is deadly the only way that you can survive is in Christ you cannot find satisfaction anywhere else for your soul yes you can find satisfaction for the flesh in the pursuits of the flesh but those pursuits have a shelf life and pretty soon they go away but what we're talking about is satisfaction in Christ our passions are inflamed by demonic powers I think that's what Paul's getting at here in reference to mute idols before we received Christ we were just riding this wave of destruction Now, I want you to notice the phrase, however you were led. That jumped off the page at me early this morning. However you were led. So notice what Paul's saying. Whatever wave of sin you're riding may not be the same wave I'm riding. However you were led. Notice the particular there. It's like he's pointing a finger at you saying, I know. God's word is saying, I know what your sin is. Don't worry about what your neighbor's sin is and the wave of destruction they're on right now. Have you considered your sin? What is it that in your life is separating you from God? And I'll tell you, if there is impure living in your life, that's a sign that something's wrong. As one um, I quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones last week. I think he's the one who said it. He said, you know, uh, basically, all of our polluted living, uh, it kind of flows downstream from polluted doctrine. If we are not allowing God's word to grip our hearts, the way we live is going to be, well, dumb. It's going to be sin- sinful. Now, the picture here is pathetic. Now, if you'll notice, um, the the scripture speaks of being mute, not, not, not dumb per se, but I want to tell you, um, it's so interesting when we look back as you mature in your faith and you look back at the sinful proclivities of your youth, you just, you go, that was stupid. And yes, it's true. You can't fix stupid. That's true. But I've seen Christ fix me and I've done some pretty stupid things. And and things that that, that aren't worth talking about here, but things that I know, I look back and I think, Lord, thank you for delivering me from myself. Those idols didn't have to say a whole lot, but they had the right kind of image that drew me in and and drew me into destruction. And the dumb things we do is because those idols are not inert. You know what I mean? They, They actually have power. They have power to destroy you. And you need deliverance from your own desolation. You cannot have dignity and remain controlled by the demonic. The only way that we can have true dignity to be the people that we're called to be in Christ. The only way is is to walk away from our sins. Now I want to just say this to you before we, we move on. When we're talking about the life before Christ. The reason we really need to understand this is because it truly is a sad, powerful picture. But I want to warn you. I want to warn you. When we think about pagan activity, we think in terms of behavior. And yes, again, what what comes out, the way you act, is is going to be indicative of what's going on in your heart. But I want you to understand something. The gospel isn't behavior modification. The gospel is a complete transformation of your heart. So what you need to do, I'm not asking you today to just like take two or three steps to do life a little better than you did it last week. I'm inviting you to to humble yourself before Jesus, the son of God, confessing your sins and asking him to totally transform your life. Nothing less than that will do. Anything less than that is an attempt on your part at behavior modification, and you can't modify your behavior enough to get you out of this hot water. This, this current is way too strong for your, you know, attempts at good behavior. You need the Holy Spirit radically changing your life. So let's talk about that. Life in Christ. Again, the word pagan, as we look at that in the passage, it's, it's really, really hard to get past that word. But again, what we need to realize here is that the transformation that we're talking about is in Christ. What God does is, is really radical. He takes us from being that pagan, being that person away from God, to being that person who is truly in love with God. We're not talking about self-reformation, but we're talking about salvation as a spiritual reality. Again, a total transformation of the heart that then goes out. Now, notice in the passage in verse 3, um, he uses an interesting way to talk about what's in your heart. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So what we need to see in this passage here is, on the one hand, if a person is here today and can say something that ugly about Jesus, they are really in a dark place. If you say, not only am I not a Christian, but I think Jesus is cursed of God. I don't have any use for him. You're in a very dark place. You're in a very, very bad spiritual place. But my guess is, is that most people who might be in this room today, we're in the first service or in this service, I doubt that they're saying ugly things like that, but on the other hand, they're not able to say with the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is Lord. So here's the point. You don't say Jesus is Lord because you're a really clever person who's figured out things that everybody else hasn't figured out. No, what happens is, is that God begins to do a work in your heart. And, and for all of us, that conviction is a little different. When we're under conviction, uh, that's the word that, that they used to use uh, when you're feeling conviction. It's just a feeling down deep in your heart like a like something has a, a hold of your heart. You know that, that what, what the preacher is saying, what God's word is saying is true. You know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you know that you need to receive him. That's that conviction. And when you're feeling that conviction, what you're feeling is the weight of your sin and you're feeling the need for that weight to be relieved. Or to put it in the metaphor of verse 2, you you realize you're feeling that current pulling you away from God. And you're saying, what do I need to do to start swimming the other direction away from destruction? The only way that you can have that going on is, is when the Lord is really dealing with you. It's the Lord who is convicting you. Jesus is convicting you. The Spirit is convicting you that you need to receive Christ. Now, let me show you something here. If you have a minute and you have your copy of Scripture there, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want you to see this, okay? So 1 Corinthians 2, and it'll be on the screen here if, if you're afraid of paper cuts or whatever and turning in your Bible, okay? We want to take care of you. Some of your hands, I'm sure, are very, very manicured. You want to, you want to hurt yourself, Okay. All right, so let's, let's take a look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So right there, here's what Paul's saying. He said, no one would have understood who Jesus is and, and the gospel if they really understood who he was. But the reason they couldn't understand who he was is because they were not seeking God and the Holy Spirit wasn't revealing to them. But as it is, it was, it is written... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So here we see the gospel is not a man-made thing. It's a a, a God-given message. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So in other words, no one knows your heart. No one can look into your heart and say what's going on or not going on, but God can. God knows what's going on. The preacher can't read your heart, but the Holy Spirit can. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, if you are a believer here today, then by definition there, you are a spiritual one and you're understanding what I'm talking about. When I say conviction, you go, yeah, I remember what that was like. When, when I say something about uh, confessing your sins and turning to Jesus, you go, yeah, I, I remember that. So those who are spiritual understand that. Those who have who are struggling or moving in that direction, what you need to realize is, this is God at work. When you're feeling this, when you're saying, the time today, it's time for me to follow Jesus. I'm going to tell you, that's not your reasoning. That's not your rationality. That's God moving in your heart. That's him changing you. And And here's my belief. If you honestly would come in this room today and say, I want to know who the real God is, if you were serious about that, the spirit begins to speak through his word and you will hear that Jesus is the son of God and you will believe. I believe that, again, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think that's what it's talking about. If you are serious about knowing God, then the spirit is here this morning saying, Jesus is Lord. That's what you're hearing. Did you see that in verse three? Jesus is Lord. No one can hear that and believe it unless the Spirit is moving. And I believe the Spirit is moving. This is a radical thought. Our lips are unclean until the Holy Spirit makes them clean enough to say with 100% veracity, Jesus is Lord. How do I know this? Isaiah 6, 5. Notice this, the prophet says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So even the prophet realized that that his words, his mouth, um, was unclean in comparison to the Spirit of the Lord, and the power of the Lord, and the Word of the Lord. And so what we're dealing with here today is, if we have life in Christ, if we can say Jesus is Lord, it's because the Holy Spirit is moving. Now, I want to be honest with you. The reason why is, is because not one of us in this room who's a follower of Christ can brag about how smart we are or how good we are. If we are a Christ follower, all we can say is, Jesus loved me. This I know. All we can say is, I, I don't understand why God loves me, but he does. And he loves you, too. That's that's my message to you. I'm not up here saying that anybody in this room, no matter how long they follow Christ, is better than you if you're not a Christ follower. We're just saying it is good. Follow Jesus. Experience life in his name. We're inviting you to receive this wonderful gift. We're inviting you to experience the love of God. Now, the final point here is that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Once we understand that we were lost in our pagan life, then we were saved by the Spirit saying Jesus is Lord. Verse 1, we get back to verse 1 now. We begin to think about what it means in terms of spiritual gifts. And we don't want to be uninformed about that. And here's here's basically the gist of the 12th and 13th and 14th chapters. When you are in Christ, God begins to reveal to you that he's placed things in you that are worthwhile, not only to yourself, but to the church. Over time, as you're discipled, those things begin to come out. So what's a lump of coal at the beginning becomes a beautiful diamond at the end. You can only experience this, though, I think, uh, when you submit your heart to to, to accountability and godly leadership. Um, We are saved by the Holy Spirit's work, but I also believe we're sustained by the Holy Spirit's continuing presence within us. And it's that spirit that helps us grow in grace to live the powerful, spirit-filled lives that will have the spiritual gifts flowing. You see, your gifts, coupled with the gifts of those in the church around you, make ministry possible. So, again, when we come back to the idea of why would we join a church? Well, you need to join the church because we need you and you need us. And and we all need to understand the role we have in, in submitting our hearts to the Holy Spirit. And we need to realize that, yes, in salvation, the Spirit speaks and says, Jesus is Lord. But I believe that in sanctification, as we grow in Christ, the Spirit continues to speak and clarify. The moment I was saved, I did not hear a voice saying, you're going to be a, a preacher. It, it If so, I don't know what that would have done. I might have just fallen flat right there. Um, but... Over time, uh, my gifts began to be brought out because people cared for me and loved me in the context of the church. And the Holy Spirit, I believe, works here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church and is working here in this room and in the small group rooms. There is a lot of hope for you. If you want to follow Christ and receive him today, I also believe that this is the place where you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live the life that God wants you to live. Grace, God's grace, the gospel will change you down to your core and continue to conform you to the image of Christ. Friends, there is no middle ground though. You are either in Christ or you are apart from Christ. And I don't want you to stay apart from Christ one minute longer. We come to the end of a service and many times people say, well, what am I supposed to do? Well, here's my advice, my plea to you. First, I invite you to receive Christ. If you know in your heart of hearts that the Lord is speaking to you and saying, Jesus died, died for you. Jeremy, Jesus died for you. Will you receive that? That's the Lord speaking. Receive that. Some of you have received Christ, but you've not been faithful and obedient to baptism. I I really do. I believe Christ's command in Matthew 28 to to go forth and and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that's telling us that the command is not just to baptize, but for us to submit to baptism, to give a picture of the gospel. If you've not done that, you're missing a beautiful blessing there and you're not being obedient to the call. A third element though is, is just, I really believe we, if we're not plugged into a church, I don't know how we can be members of the body. I mean, we just had a, we just had a vote. I don't know how it's going to go. It really, it, it, it's a good thing either way because what's most important is not what I say, but what we say, okay? But how, are, how can you be held accountable? You know what i found? I'm just going to say this. You know I've found people don't want to join the church because they don't want to be told if they're wrong or they don't want to be held accountable. Because here, here's, here's the benefit of not being a member, well, you can just kind of float along and enjoy it until something happens you don't like, and then guess what? Bye-bye. There's no accountability. So, so here in Springfield, when you've got a gazillion churches, that's a literal count, by the way, <laughs> and a bank to match, one bank for every church. I think that's the ratio, anyway. <laughs> you know, well, I don't like this. What are you going to do? You can go somewhere else and just kind of chill out. Where do you go to church? Well, I go to church here. You know, we need to be asking the question, well, what, where are you a member and then you might see some awkward looks. Because I think a lot of people, they want, they want to feel good about Jesus, but they don't want to be ac- accountable to Jesus. And if you really want to grow in your faith, you can't, you can't do it that way. So this invitation, if you're on the fence with membership, I'm going to tell you right now, you, you need to join a church and I'm going to invite you to join this one because I like it. And I'd like for you to like it too. So, Receive Christ, submit to baptism, become a member. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Let's, let's hear Christ right now and let's do what he's telling us to do. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.